Well, today we're in the uh, third part of our series called The Table. And just to kind of remind you, or maybe if you've missed these first two, the, the most basic piece of furniture in your home is the most important. Uh, and it's the table. You know, the kitchen table, the family table, the dining room. In all times and all places of the world, the table has been absolutely universal. And so we've kind of got these little sites here. You can see tables from different time periods and cultures to sort of show you that all over the world, the table is a universal piece of furniture that people use uh, everywhere to gather and, and connect and to share a meal. So the table is where we connect. It's where we... Uh, relationships are built, it's where relationships grow, it's oftentimes where relationships begin. And so two weeks ago when we started the series, we talked about the most famous table in the world, and that's the Lord's table. And we talked about how God calls each, of, each one of us to come to His table and, and have a relationship with Him. Last week we talked about God's call for us to compel other people to come to that table, to invite people who are far away from God uh, into relationship with Him. So we've, we've talked about uh, how God calls us to come to the table, compel to the table. This morning we're going to share for a few minutes on how God calls us to connect at the table. So today we're taking, talking about the table as a place where relationships grow. In a famous essay, anthropologist Mary Douglas showed that in all cultures, meals represent boundary markers. Meals represent boundaries between different levels of intimacy and acceptance. So to share a meal with someone is to invite them across a boundary line into a deeper relationship with you, into a closer relationship. This is why when we offer, you just heard this morning, February 9th, we're going to have First Step. And this is why when we offer First Step, we always offer a free lunch. Because what we're trying to say is, we want to invite you not into the, not into the doctrine. We want to invite you not into the, um, the formal business. We want to invite you not into just the membership of this church. We want to invite you into relationship. And so that's why we share a meal at our first step uh, tour in class. It's also the reason on the second Sunday of every month when we do live streams, we have a free dinner is the, in the middle of it because we don't want to just share... Uh, content, we don't even want to just share good teaching, we want to share good fellowship, and, uh, and we want to build relationships. Now, Jesus was absolutely uh, a master at building relationships, and he did so at the table. Why did Jesus choose to build relationships at the table? Author Robert uh, Karras says in, in the book of Luke, Jesus is either coming from a meal, at a meal, or going to a meal. Now, why did Jesus spend so much time at a table sharing fellowship and a meal with other people? Well, it's because most of the places and the environments that you and I are even in in our times, it's worse in our times than it was then, most of the places you and I are in are task-oriented. They're task-centered. When a, a, a child or a teenager or a college student goes to school, what is school about? It's about the task. It's about learning. We're not here to build relationships. When you go to work, what is work about? Work is about the task. Business is about the task. Commerce is about the task. Shopping is about the task. Sports are about the task. When you're at the athletic field with your family after school or Saturday or on the weekends at the ball tournament, what is that about? Yes, it's play. Yes, it's recreation. But it is an organized task that we're trying to get done out here together. Some camaraderie happens, but it's 
primarily task-focused. There is an agenda here, and if you don't help meet the agenda, you're not on the team. So it's not about building relationships. It's about the task. The table is not a task. The table is an environment where there's no agenda, but we're going to share food and the meal together. And so Jesus spent a lot of time at the table. When Luke 7 says Jesus came eating and drinking, he spent a lot of time at the table. Now this brings us to an interesting question. Is building relationships for kingdom purposes a spiritual activity or not? I think there's been a great conflict in the body of Christ about that question, whether it's been verbalized or not, conscious or unconscious. Is building relationships for kingdom purposes, and and I want to say if it's not, Jesus wasted a lot of his life. Now think about that. Jesus wasted a lot of time if it's not. And and we can't see Jesus as a bad steward, right? He's the ultimate steward of of the 33 years he had on earth. So it must have been absolutely critical. He used the table to build relationships with basically two different kinds of people. Insiders and outsiders. He often used the table to teach his disciples, to teach insiders, to teach believers. He sometimes used the table to rebuke, to correct. He also always welcomed outsiders. Now, let's look at those two groups this morning and we'll talk about them for a few minutes. How did Jesus deal with insiders at the table. Hours before Jesus was to be beaten and crucified, he shares a meal with his disciples privately, and he says to them at that table, I have eagerly desired to share this meal with you. He knows he's going to die. They don't know it. And what is interesting about this meal is how normal it seems to everybody. It doesn't seem to be a special occasion to have a meal with Jesus. It seems like like normal life. Like your daily commute to work. It seems like normal life. Now, it was Passover, which makes it a very special day in and of itself, and that was a big deal. But more than that, it didn't seem unnatural for them to share a meal with Jesus. Now, if you had to translate what that meal at that table would be like or where that meal would show up for you, where that table would show up for you in in your life, that private time of sharing with those closest to you. Now, we're going to talk about Christian relationships next week, but today I wanted to take this time really and focus where is that private table space where you share the table with those closest to you. So I want to focus for a few minutes on the family table. Now, I think we need a new definition of success in our culture, one that, that throws intangibles in the mixture like relationships. So the question is, do you have a close relationship with your spouse and kids? Do you know your kids and your spouse's dreams? Do you know their fears? Do you know their successes? Do you know their failures? Uh, If you're an empty nester, do you know some of those things about your adult children? If you're grandma and grandpa, do you know those things about your uh, grandchildren? Do you have that relationship? In other words, if cars and, and careers and cottages weren't a measurement for how successful you were in life, if they weren't counted, then how successful would you be? If the only measurement for success in life were relationships... Would you give yourself this morning an A or a B or a C or a D or an F? How would you grade your life if none of those other things counted? 
And so I want you to ask yourself, in your own family working, where's the table found in your home? I don't mean necessarily the piece of furniture. It might be that. But where's the place that you all relate to each other in a non-task-oriented way? In other words, this isn't about chores. This isn't about did you do your homework. This isn't about we got to get that bill paid. This isn't about... Uh, you know, I, I told you to do that last week and you didn't do it. This isn't about correction. Your attitude's going to have to change because this isn't working. It's not, I'm not talking about any of that. Where is the place in your family where a task isn't trying to be accomplished and the only agenda is being together? A year ago, um, our oldest son was going to be a, um, a counselor or a, a leader at children's camp. And so we had to go and get him um, lifeguard certified so he could monitor kids at the lake and stuff like that. So we went over to the YMCA, and we were all getting out to just find out. You know, we have no idea. You know, I, I learned to swim because somebody threw me in. I don't know. Never had any formal training in the water or anything like that. So we're going over there asking him, how do you do this? We get out, and there's a, 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 a van parked right next. You know, you have somebody parked too close to you, you can barely get out kind of got out and slid between vehicles. And as I turned, I looked inside that van window and something hit me inside that van that just sort of shook me and reminded me of where we are in our culture. I looked in that van and I saw an open box of half-eaten pizza laying up on the dash in the sun and the heat in that car. And I looked through that window and I looked out into the field past the parking lot and there was a parking lot of kids running out there and parents surrounding it uh, playing soccer. And, I, and, I, I, and, and to me, it just was a reminder of how broke. I thought some family shot through a drive-thru, called ahead, grabbed a pizza, jammed it, uh, sliced down their kid's throat, threw them out there on the soccer field and ran out there, and that's living. Somehow that's being alive. Somehow that's life. And, 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 it just, and it just reminded me what a graceless culture we live in. Go, 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 go. Move, move, move. Got to get to this. Got to get to that. Got to do the next thing. And, and I know everybody eats meals on the go sometimes. We've done it. You've done it. Everybody's done it. I don't mean that. You know, I, I don't, we don't live like the Waltons at our house. Grandpa don't come and pass the potatoes and everybody sits down four generations deep at one long table of 18 people. I, I understand. You know, we go through drive throughs I get all that. But I guess just looking at it from the outside, it reminded me sort of where we are when it comes to the, to the, to the relationship building place in families. Too often it's gone. So I want to share a, a few thoughts with you. The family in America in the last 30 years has had a 33% decline at eating together as a family. And half of the time, the group that eats together watches TV. So there's no relationship happening. The average number of dinners eaten per week in the American family is three. The average amount of time at those meals is 20 minutes. It's, just, it's like, you know, feeding them on a conveyor belt. Gah! Jam it down the throat and go. 
A study was done by Children's Hospital in Cincinnati that learned that teenagers who eat dinner with their parents five times a week or more, listen to this, were the least likely teenagers to be on drugs, to be depressed, to be in trouble with the law. They were the most likely to be doing well in school and be surrounded by supportive friends. And here's the kicker. That was true for families no matter where they ate together. Even if they ate in a restaurant, it still worked. So in other words, it didn't matter who cooked the food. It didn't matter where they ate. And it didn't matter what they ate. What matters is that they did it together. Fathom that. The power of that connection at the table. Another study was done by the professor of education at Harvard's graduate school that discovered that dinner time had more value to child development than playtime, school, and story time. Wow. A child's development happens more effectively when you think you're sitting around the table doing nothing than it does in structured time like school and story time and play. Isn't that something? And so I guarantee you a family that doesn't share some kind of table together. It doesn't have to be Martha Stewart and it doesn't have to be like Food Network and it doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't have to be all of that. I mean a a, a box of pizza sitting around a table for 45 minutes with the TV off does more ministry and good for a family than a gourmet cooked meal and everybody shoots off in their own space and eats it. Isn't that something? So, insiders. So I just want to encourage you this morning as you move along in your family development. How could we find a relational space as a family? Jesus spent much time with the insiders, with those closest to him, at a table. Now let's talk for a few minutes about outsiders. Let's call um, this the church table. Where does the church set a table to welcome people from the outside in? Uh, one of the stories that we see this in, when Jesus was eating at Simon the Pharisee's house, there was a sinful woman, the Bible says, or a woman who lived a sinful life, who came in, interrupted the meal, and in that time, they're at a table like a horseshoe, she comes up behind Jesus, who's lounging at the table with his feet out behind him. She comes up behind him. She begins to weep and cry and wash his feet with her tears and her hair. And Simon the Pharisee doesn't like this at all. But what's interesting is how Jesus reacted. And you can read the whole story. Uh, it was in, actually in our devotions this week. Jesus welcomes this lady who he doesn't know, who lives a sinful life, and Simon says if he had any idea what kind of woman was touching him, he would reject her. And what Jesus understood better than Simon did is he knew her heart and Simon's. And you can see in the story how that's revealed. He welcomes her. Why? Because she had a hungry heart. And so Jesus welcomes the outsiders. In Matthew 25, we see a, a, another place this happens, 25, 35, and 36, and I want to jump to 40. Jesus is saying to his followers, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. 
I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And if you follow the verses that I'm not going to read, the believers, uh, the followers of Christ say back to him, when did we... When did we clothe you? When did we feed you? When did we give you something? When did we visit you? When did we welcome you as a stranger? And Jesus says in verse 40, the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In these verses, Jesus puts the priority on the least of these. In other words, those who are most disadvantaged, the newest, the least familiar, the children, the newcomer, the new believer, the hungry, the poor, the sick, the thirsty, the imprisoned. However we treat these people, Jesus is saying, he takes it personally. However you treat them, you treat me. Now here's the thing that we have to get as a church. We are called by God to welcome and invite and connect people to Jesus' family. To welcome the stranger is to welcome Jesus. To not welcome the stranger is to not welcome Jesus. That's what Jesus said. I didn't make it up. It's actually there. Matthew 25. So the church table is that place where we understand how important relationships of of connecting people to Jesus' family are. The family table might be in the dining room at your house. Or the breakfast nook. But where is the church table set to invite people into relationship with the body of Christ? Where is the church table set for us to invite people and welcome people in to to the body of Jesus, the family of Jesus? Well, in our church, it's life groups. That's where we set the table and invite people in. Now, I wondered what it was like to be a stranger in a church. I wondered what it was like to go to a place where I didn't know anybody and experience a worship service and see how that would affect me. So uh, late last year, Stacy and the boys and I, we have a 16 and 12 year old, and my wife and I, we took our family and we went on a field trip. And we went and visited two churches. We we visited a church of about 4,000 and we visited a church uh, probably close to our size. And, and we, we scheduled it in a way that we could go to two services back to back. We went to early at one, the second at the other. And so we, should, and we, 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 we had to like wear uh, dark clothes so nobody would know. You know. We felt like we were cheating on our church, like we are having an affair you know, on our church. It was, it was a ninja operation. You know what I'm saying? We had to go incognito. But we picked churches that we thought were similar to ours and probably wouldn't be noticed. So we went. And uh, we went on our little field trip. And we went to uh, one church, and then we, we shot over to another one for the second service and, and did service there. And in the car, as we rode, I would ask everybody, hey, what did you think about that? How did that feel? How did that go? How did that look? What, what, what was going on there? Um, and, and there were four things, as we talked for a little while, that kind of came up that we noticed. Here, here's what we noticed. We were surprised how hard it is to engage in the worship service when you know absolutely no one. We were surprised. I, I, I'm, I'm like a pastor. I sort of get it. I kind of get what's going on in the room. I've been in ministry all my adult life. I've been in church all my life. I, or most of it. A few years there I blacked out, but most of it. 
I kind of get what's going on. I get the purpose. I get the point. I get the theology. I get the scripture. But I'm telling you, even though I get it, it was sort of like the bridge was out. It's kind of like watching church on TV. You are an observer. You're not a participator. You don't really, you can switch the channels at any time because you say, I don't have anything invested here. I don't have anything to lose. I don't have anything to gain. I don't know anybody. I can't possibly offend anybody. I don't know anybody. I, I, nobody knows me. They won't know if I leave. They won't know if I come back. And so we just sort of, it, 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 we sort of sat there. I have no relational investment. We were surprised how hard it is to engage in the worship service when you don't know anybody. And I just want to say this to you. If you're new to Kingwood or you're, you're um, maybe uh, uh, don't have a lot of relationships here, I want to say this to you. You would be surprised how God's kingdom would come alive to you if you begin to connect with other people and we're doing our best to set the table for you and welcome you. But you have to take a step to do that too. The second thing we noticed is we were surprised how many people talk to each other and how few people talk to us. In two churches of thousands of people, we had one person that talked to us. One. That talked to us. One person. And so it was kind of hard to feel, you know, welcome. And, he, and, and that happened to be a day they were raising money for something, and he came to apologize. <laughs> he noticed we were new. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. Please come back another day. Where I said, oh, you have no idea. I get it. I understand. We take the offering in our church, too. I understand. You know, I didn't, I didn't tell him anything. He was a kind man. He was just, uh, being thoughtful for us. And I said, no, thank you for welcoming us. We appreciate it. Uh, it's no problem. You have a great church, and we're so glad to have been here with you. Another church we went to, the, the, the usher who stood at the entrance to the sanctuary was asleep. He was asleep. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making fun. He was physically asleep. What I mean by asleep is he didn't see us. His eyes were closed. I don't know if he was snoring, but he was asleep. And he was leaning on a rail, and the bulletins were wilted over in his hand. And we walk in, and our kids look at me like, what do we do? I went... Not really ever been here before. I'm not really sure. So we just kind of sifted a bulletin out of his hand. It became a game to see if we could get one without him waking up. And he didn't wake up. Well, okay. Boy, that's, that's, a, uh, that's a really poor way to make somebody new feel welcome, isn't it? But we were surprised how many people talked to each other but didn't talk to us. The, the other thing we noticed... And this has nothing to do with the sermon today, but it's a great thought. Is we noticed um, how much um, we preferred the worship service. I'm talking about, when I mean the worship, I mean the, the, the music, the worship, the time that we worship together here, how much more we enjoyed it here than we did there. And both of those churches sang songs that we knew. And actually, what we, we wouldn't trade our worship for anybody's. And here's why. It was very good worship, very good quality. The music was quality. It was good. But there was one key difference in the way we see it here and the way we saw it in those two places. And, and it had almost nothing to do with the platform. The difference was we sat and watched several thousand people stand and stare at the front and not sing. 
And man, can I just say to you, I was shocked. I've heard people say that. That congregational singing in the church across America is disappearing. People sort of show up and they watch the, the, the pros do it. And they watch them do it, but they don't participate. And when I was in those, I didn't, it didn't strike me until I saw it. And when I saw it, I went, I don't want this. And can I just say to you, please, when you come in this room, you've got something incredible. Don't lose it. When you come in this room, you don't come to watch these guys sing and play. You, they come to prompt you and to welcome you to the table to sing and to, and to raise your hand and to worship and to pray and to praise and to be a part. I don't want you to ever feel like when you come here you're watching anything on TV. You're not watching anything on TV. This isn't a, a stadium where we watch the, the good football players play and we're just the guys on the side buying the ticket in. That's not it. That's not the kingdom at all. And so, man, we saw that and went, wow, we can't wait to get home. Here's the last thing we noticed. We missed being here with you more than we thought. And I don't mean that we don't have that feeling. I don't, that's not a lack of love. We just went, man, we really don't want to go anywhere else. We really don't want to go anywhere else. We miss our church. Why do we miss our church? Listen to this. We missed being here with you because we're connected here. Worshiping with strangers, and I mean all of them, is a lot different than worshiping with people that you know. And we realized when we were gone, we missed being here worshiping with you because we're connected. So I want to say it like this to you. Until you feel out of place when you're not here, you're not connected. You haven't connected yet. And boy, when we weren't here, we felt really out of place. We said, what causes that? What causes that are the deep relationships that we've been growing over the last four or five years. And some much longer than that. That's what causes that feeling. And that doesn't happen overnight. You can't microwave that. You can't go out today in the foyer and jump in a life group and by next Sunday have it. But if you don't start today, you'll never have it. You have, you have to take that step. See, the American culture is now counterproductive to relationship building. So if we don't build relationships on purpose, we're not going to have any. So it's our church's responsibility to set the table to have an open front door. Now how are we going to do that? Let me give you some thoughts. Last year when we started our emphasis on life groups, we have seen an absolute explosion of life groups. We have doubled the number of life groups. In 2013, we ended the year with twice the number of life groups we had the year before. I think that's absolutely phenomenal and I want to say hats off to all our life group hosts and leaders and thank you for ministering and reaching out and doing what you do on top of that we have 120 people in a life group at the end of 2013 that weren't in one at the end of 2012 I think that's absolutely phenomenal and again hats off to all of our life group folks so what are we going to do? We're going to continue to add life groups. We have three new life groups that are in your life group guide that you have in your, in your chair with you today. We're going to continue to add new life groups. How many more life groups do we need? We need enough life groups for every person in Kingwood Church to be in one. When we have that many, we'll have enough. Until we have that many, we don't have enough. So we're going to continue our facility upgrades. You've seen the foyer, the classrooms, all of that. We're trying to make an environment in our church where people can come into a room, come into a building, come into the foyer, and the welcome is there. It feels like somebody was ready for you to be there when you, when you came in the door. So we're going to continue to do that. 
We're going to continue to offer First Step, our newcomers tour and lunch and uh, an information class. We're going to step it up. We're going to offer it once a month rather than, than uh, once every other month. Continue to strengthen uh, first teams. Here's the other thing we're going to offer this year. We're going to establish an internet campus. What I mean by that is, is that's not one of those deals where you say, oh good, I don't have to drive to the building anymore. No, that's not what that means. What that means is, is there are people who will visit us on the web before they ever get here and will actually become a step of, if we can minister to people on the internet, we can invite them into a deeper relationship. And so we're going to open an internet campus this year. We've shifted some of our staff around. Uh, Pastor Clark is going to shift over to work with life groups, and Pastor Joel is going to move up to work with in the place that he left and 30 serving those things. So here's the deal. It's our responsibility to set the table, but it's your responsibility to come to it. In other words, it's our responsibility to make sure that there is a table, there's a clean table, there's a good table, there's a welcoming table. It's our responsibility to invite you to the table, but it's your responsibility to pull up a chair. Nobody can make you pull a chair up. And, and you'll, you'll never build relationships until you pull a chair up somewhere. You, you have to take that step if you're going to be connected, deeply connected to Jesus' family. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to ask um, all of our life group hosts and leaders that are, that are uh, in this service, if you would go ahead and find your way to the foyer and uh, prepare. Life groups are the table at Kingwood Church. And, and I want to ask you this. Inside your bulletin, there's a little card and this is just an annual commitment that, we, that we've made to help us continue to pay off the debt on the Legacy Center and to uh, invest in the vision of the church. So, continuing to renovate the life rooms, continuing to upgrade our facility to make it more wel welcoming, starting an internet campus, those things uh, all have a cost to them. And inside your bulletin this morning, there's a, a commitment card, and we'll, we'll ask you to turn that in next week. But for those of you who may not be here next week, you can take a look at it now uh, and, and you can make that commitment or if you want to wait till next week, that's fine. But all the information that you need is on the card called the table inside the bulletin. Uh, you can uh, get one from one of the ushers on the way out the door if you don't have one. Uh, that's a way that you can help us set the table. But if you're here today and, and you're not in a life group or, or maybe you were in one and hadn't been one in a long time, the life group guide is right there um, in your chair. And let me just give you a couple of thoughts about it, and then I'll let you go. Inside the guide, you'll find a variety of groups. Uh, basically, you'll find life stage, uh, interest. If there's a little uh, alien-looking person out beside it, a little white alien-looking dot person, that means that child care is available at that group. If you see a symbol, uh, how many of you are Monopoly players? Yes, anybody? Used to? Ever played? Anybody ever played? Nobody's ever played Monopoly. Okay, I'm glad you're still alive. Good, we'll pass mirrors out and make sure you're breathing in a minute. All right, the little red house there means that that group meets off campus. So the little person means child care is available for that one. The little red house means that one meets off campus. 
And there's an entire list of groups there. Later today, our website will be updated. And this uh, new directory, if you look on it right now, the old directory is there, which gives you the groups from the fall. If you'll wait till later today, we'll have the new directory online, and that'll give you uh, the guide for the spring. This is our spring semester. These groups will meet from uh, starting next Sunday until the end of April. And then our semester for the spring is over. We take a break for May, uh, and then we'll have another semester in the summer and then another in the fall. So here's the deal. We want to make the table a place that is as open uh, as we can make it. So what you can do this morning is when you leave, you can go out and meet um, our life group leaders and hosts. And if there's a t- uh, one of these groups you're interested in, or a few, or two or three of them, go and meet somebody and introduce yourself and ask them, hey, you know, tell me a little about your group. Tell me how many people come. Tell me, you know, what are the folks like that come? Are they, you know, are they like us? You know, do they have kids this age? Do they, you know, you're looking for a place, uh, people that are similar. And so visit a group. Here's two good things. One is if you visit a group and just hate it, hey, don't go back. All right? For everybody's sake, don't go back. Right? Everybody feel better? But go visit another one. Number two, if you go to a group and you're there two or three months and you say, you know, these are great folks, but I just feel like if we had someone closer to our age or had kids our age or something, the semester will end in April and you're, you're like free. All right? So if, it, if that doesn't work, uh, the door's open. So we find if you open the back door, uh, people tend to come in the front door. So I want you to know, you're not getting married. Uh, you're not joining a cult. Nothing like that. You're just saying, reaching out and saying, you know what? For me to experience God's kingdom in its fullness, I have to have relationships with other Christians that are growing. And that's really it. So, if you would stand with me this morning, you have your guide. Uh, Our host and our leaders are ready in the foyer for you. You've heard our heart. The table is set. But it's up to you to pull a chair. And uh, and if if this is your very first time at Kingwood, we invite you to stop by and talk to some of our folks. Love to just meet you. Love to have you at first step. You can go ahead and uh, you have no hoops to jump through. You can go ahead and start start at a life group next week. Be fantastic. We'd love to have you. Would you just pray with me, Lord? I thank you today for this service. I thank you today for the body of Jesus. I thank you for the kingdom of God. I thank you for the family of Christ that gives us a relational connection to you. How, how else can we relate so many of the things of the Christian life unless we relate them to other people who know you and they relate to us. So Lord, today I pray that as we open the door that you would allow not only this congregation to become a welcoming, inviting place, but Lord, that you would allow new connections to start. Lord, we believe you for that and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.